Please turn your Bibles with me to Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art or imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for this day, and thank you that we get to worship together, both um, here in this facility and uh, also for brothers and sisters who are watching this morning. We're grateful for technology, and we're thankful that we get to think and lean into important truths in your word. Lord, today I pray you would provoke us. Provoke us as to what our role is in this community, what our role is in our neighborhoods, what is it that you want to do in and through your church in 2014. So meet with us, please. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hopefully you've got your Bible open to uh, Acts 17. And I want to welcome those of you who um, are uh, watching online, worshiping at uh, home. We're glad that you can uh, join us in uh, this service today. So we're in the middle of uh, an emphasis on prayer. Prayer week is continuing on this week. And we began with a 24-hour Bible reading and prayer event that ended 2013 and moved us into 2014. Then we had a um, noon prayer on Thursday, a missions prayer on Friday, and the Saturday men's prayer meeting on um, uh, this it's just yesterday, on Saturday. So this week we have a couple other events that are happening. We are not going to have our Monday uh, prayer time here because of the weather. Tuesday we're still hoping that we'll have our staff uh, prayer summit. Um, stay tuned for that staff. Wednesday, weather should be clear. We're going to have a great prayer time down at uh, the Circle at uh, Christ Church Cathedral down there. One of my favorite prayer times of the um, season. And then also on Thursday we're having a new prayer time, uh, a prayer time in Fishers. And I'll talk a little bit about that this morning. So if you live in that area, stay tuned uh, for that. We take time to talk about prayer for a number of reasons. In the first place, we need to prioritize prayer because prayer is really, really important. The second thing is, though, if we're honest, uh, most people, most followers of Jesus struggle at some level in their prayer life. And I also believe that when God moves, he moves in direct proportion to people's praying. So there's, there's a sense in which God moves when his people pray, but there's also a sense in which that we really struggle in prayer. And so it's important to be able to lean into this. 
Um, prayer is something that um, kind of kills our sense of independency. You know, it's remarkable to me, I've just seen this over the years as a pastor, that if I was to say, hey, next Saturday evening, or next Sunday evening, rather, we're going to have a, a time of teaching on uh, eschatology or end times or some theological subject, we would have a fair number of people here. But if I called for just a prayer meeting, the fact of the matter is we're like every other church. It'd be very few and far between, few numbers that would, that would, that would be here. We struggle with prayer. In 2013, we had to cancel some events throughout the course of the year because of weather or just staff um, availability and and just um, volume and things of that sort. And you know, I received some, hey, how can we cancel this? How can we cancel that? You know, but nobody asked me why we canceled a prayer meeting. And I'm not trying to get in your grill on uh, maybe a little bit, but uh, I'm not trying to get in your grill on this. But the fact of the matter is, I'm just telling you, it's just the way that we are. We we get upset if we cancel a Thanksgiving Eve service, but cancel a Fresh Encounter. Well, I don't, don't hear anything about that. It just I'm telling you, it says something about the priority of prayer. So when we think about prayer, we need to lean into it because it's really important. Most of us struggle with it in some arena, and I really believe that God moves when his people pray. So it's really important to think and, and, and to talk about. Charles Spurgeon knew of the power and the impact of prayer. In fact, he said this. Talk about someone getting in your grill. He says, a prayerless soul is a Christless soul. Take that to the bank. Prayer is the lisping of the believing infant, the shout of the fighting believer, the requiem of the dying saint falling asleep in Jesus. It is the breath the watchword, the comfort, the strength, the honor of a Christian. All that to say, church, we, we need to pray. And so that's what we're doing uh, during these days is focusing on how we can pray together as a church and what we can seek God's help in and for as we look to 2014. Now, I'm a little bit of a nostalgic guy. My wife sometimes says I'm sappy, but I'm, I'm nostalgic. I like to think back what, you know, kind of what happened historically in our lives. And so I just want to take a few moments to talk a little bit about what happened in 2013 because some really amazing things happened in 2013. I took some time this week and just jotted out, um, a number of things that, that we did together as a church. So let me just walk you through a few things, okay? So we started the year with focusing on what it means to present everyone mature in Christ from Colossians 1.28. We talked about what it means for us to pursue maturity and to pursue Christ-likeness. And then we established three teams as staff and elders to work on evangelism, discipleship, and strategic initiatives. How are we going to live out this idea of becoming mature in Christ? The fruit of those teams was amazing throughout the course of the year. One of the fruits was a focus on evangelism in the spring. We talked about the resurrected gospel. Some of you will remember this little tagline, open a door, open my what? Mouth and open their heart. And then we planted gospel seeds throughout the course of the summer. It was a great time of just thinking about this matter of evangelism. Uh, In the Early uh, February, March area uh, or arena, we um, launched Nehemiah Bible Church under Pastor Corey Johnson's leadership. We then, in March, we learned some great theology from Dr. James Hamilton with Think 13. In the fall, we had a CPI forum on sexual identity. Um, In April or May, we did Serve 13. We had over 800 of you who served with a friend in that initiative. Then in um, August, we dealt with the issue of anger with Live 13, and we launched 30 new Live groups on top of the already uh, 12 to 1,400 small groups that we have. As well, throughout the course of the year, we trained over 300 new people in regards to uh, soul care and biblical counseling, and we became a regional training center, a certified training center for the biblical counseling movement. We um, hosted a joint Fresh Encounter service with Traders Point. Remember that? By the way, we're doing that in September of 2014. We're going to their place, so mark it down because everybody has to go. All right? Um, we, um, we gave $20,000 to our friends at uh, Colonial Hills Baptist Church in light of that terrible bus accident. We commissioned our first church planting effort to the Caspian um, region. We launched Delta Force during Reach 13, we completed our journey through the uh, the book of Exodus and walked through that wonderful book, completed that. We gave over $21,000 away in $100 increments to the Extravagant Grace series. I'm still hearing stories. I'll talk about one this morning from that series. By the way, if you look around, you're like, man, it seems like there's more people around here. Not, not today, but in general. Um, well, the congregation, the congregation, our attendance, we grew by um, about, oh, just over 9% this year. And um, 
We had an average attendance in the fall of over 4,000 people. Um, we welcomed, get this number, we, we welcomed over 1,000 new people into our guest reception room. So just think of that. That's 1,000 people who've come and we know of who visited the church. There's far more that have, that have visited but visited and then came to the guest reception room. We um, retired over half of our facility debt in 2013 from 4.7 to just over 2 million. We ended the 2013 budget year significantly in the black. And if you're not an accountant, that's good. All right. It means you have more money. Red is bad. Black is good. And then this is, I just can't believe this. Some of you know this already. But we set a record for the largest Christmas offering in the history of our church with over $1.1 million given to the Cloud Mountain Project. Isn't that amazing? I tell you, when, when we were building this facility, we talked about the fact of dreaming of the day. I mean, I, I said it in some meetings, that dream of the day when we could give a million dollars away to the Christmas offering. I never thought it would happen in 2013. Nate came into my office, uh, it was Wednesday or Thursday this week, big smile on his face. He said, did you hear? And I said, are we over? He says, we're over a million dollars. I hugged him. I said, man, this is so exciting. I can't even believe that, that we're here. I mean, we dreamed of this day and, and here we are. And so thrilling to be able to see what God did in our church and through all of you in 2013. I'm just so grateful to be part of this church. And you know, in the back of my mind, I hear this verse in Luke chapter 12 and verse 48 that says this, to whom much is given, much will be required. I hear that verse as a admonition to realize that, you know what, God's brought us together for this season of ministry. He's brought a very unique group of people together with a very unique mission and a unique um, set of values, a unique vision, a unique eldership, unique staff, and God's hand is on this place. And, and my motto is, don't mess it up. And my motto for you would be the same. Don't mess this up. And instead, think, why has God brought us together? What is our role in the world? What is our role in advancing the kingdom of Christ? And today, I want to talk about this a little bit. In fact, I want to put it underneath this tagline of what provokes you to pray. What is it that's on your heart? Why has God brought you to the place in life that you're in? What needs are in front of you? What is it that you see? What is on your heart? What is the burden that is within your soul? What provokes you to pray? And I want to share some things that are on my heart for our church for 2014 and then also invite you to think with me about what God wants you to do whether inside or outside this church, what is it that God is putting on your heart to do to impact his kingdom? You'll see some whiteboards that are spread around the, the, the sanctuary this morning, and I invite those of you who are at home to do the same on a piece of white paper or to send me personally an email at the end of the service. We're going to think, and have you even responded at the end of the service, what is it that's on your heart for the advancement of Christ's kingdom? What burden is in your soul? What provokes your heart? So Acts 17 I want to begin by just first looking at the fact that Paul was provoked as he moved through the city of Athens. Acts 17 is the story of Paul's ministry in that city. And we're just going to look at the first few verses and then talk a little bit about what's happening, hopefully going to happen in our church in the next couple of years. Next week, by the way, we'll move on to the book of Romans. We'll start that series um, next Sunday. Today, I just want to talk about this idea of being provoked and how that relates to us as a church. So Paul, in the midst of his missionary journey, this is the second one, has experienced a, a number of, of fairly challenging things. He and Silas and Timothy were traveling together. They, he and Silas went to the city of Philippi. They were severely beaten and imprisoned because Paul had cast a demon out of a slave girl who was a fortune teller, and he ruined the business of the fortune teller. So they beat him, threw him in prison, and in prison Paul and Silas were famously singing hymns and songs, and angel comes and delivers them out of prison. The Philippian jailer is saved, and Paul and Silas and Timothy have to flee, and they, they flee, or Paul and Silas, rather, fled to Thessalonica. There Paul goes to the synagogue, which was his custom, where then he began teaching people about Jesus for three weeks. 
And as a result of that teaching, another disturbance arose. And so Paul and Silas have to flee to the city of Berea. So they go to Philippi, they get in trouble. They go to Thessalonica, they get in trouble. They go to Berea. And here they find some some Jews that actually want to hear the gospel. They begin searching the scriptures to see if those things were indeed so. And then the people up in Thessalonica hear that he's having success in Berea. So they come down and they start stirring up trouble. And so Paul then has to flee from Berea and he leaves by himself and goes to the city of Athens. So where we pick up the text today is Paul is in Athens after having fled Philippi, after having fled Thessalonica, and after having fled Berea. I want you to see a couple things about Paul's experience and then how this relates to your life and mine. The first thing is that notice that Paul has a divine appointment. Verse 16, it says, Now while Paul, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked. Paul was all alone in this historic city. He'd been run out of every other city that he had been in. There were people who were being converted, granted, but there was also an enormous amount of conflict. And you know what impresses me about Paul here? Despite all the challenges that he had faced, despite all of the opposition, in spite of the fact that he had been beaten just probably a month or so earlier, look at what he does next. Verse 16. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So what did he do? He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. By the way, that's what got him beaten in the first place. He'd go to the synagogue, people would find out what he was teaching, he'd get himself in trouble, he'd get in prison, he'd get beaten, he'd get run out of a city. But here Paul is all by himself in Athens, and what does he do? He goes back into the synagogue, he goes back into the marketplace, and the reason is, is because Paul's passion for the gospel was not something he could turn off. It was a burden, a burden that God had rolled upon him. I think Paul learned that no matter where he was, God had a mission and a purpose for him. He, he learned that no, mer- no matter where he was, God could work in and through those circumstances. I mean, surely the, the Philippian jail experience had, had taught him that. They're beaten, they're imprisoned, and the jailer's converted. I mean, Paul became a pretty frustrating guy to those who tried to persecute him. You know, they, they said, hey, we're going to kill you. And he'd be like, sweet, to be absent with the body is present with the Lord. Right? said, okay, we're going to beat you. Well, great. Then, you know, his stripes, his wounds become my blessing. I'm like, okay, then we're going to put you in prison. Okay, well, then I'll just convert all your prisoners and your guards. I mean, he's a really frustrating person to, to try and deal with, right? You just can't stop him because no matter what you do to him, there's always divine purpose for what Paul does or what God does in and through Paul. So it never ceases to amaze me how God can use situations and circumstances that may seem like it's a waste and yet God uses it. I heard a great example of this as it relates to our Christmas musical. Somebody apparently from our church invited somebody else to come to a 4 o'clock uh, presentation of the Christmas musical on Saturday. They were making their way south on I-65. Apparently it was a terrible accident, and they were stuck in traffic. They were going to miss the 4 o'clock um, performance And as they were sitting in traffic, a police officer apparently was going the other direction, just rolling his window down, telling people what was happening and how long they'd have to wait. And as the police officer pulled up, he began sharing with them, hey, it's an accident, it's going to be a little bit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the people in the car said, well, that's okay, we're on our way to a a, a Christmas program, Christmas musical, but there's another production at uh, 7 or 6 o'clock, so we'll just go to that one. And the police officer, this true story, said to them, really? Hey, can I go with you? Right? And they said, sure. And, and that person showed up at a six o'clock service to the Christmas musical. So who would have thought? I wouldn't have thought. Police officer rolls up next to my window while I'm in traffic. I'm thinking, I'm going to complain a little bit or something, right? So instead, there's an opportunity. And this person uh, apparently had some needs in their life or whatever. They came to the, the, the Christmas musical. I mean, those, those things, ha- God does those things all the time. You seen that happen in your life? And yet some of us struggle because something happens and you you look at it and you're like, what a waste of my time, or what in the world am I doing here? And you don't know how the story's going to end, right? Boy, I hope none of you who had tickets last night to the Colts game at halftime were like, what am I doing here? Let's go home, right? (laughs) Bad idea, right? Bad idea. If you could know how it's going to turn out, better stay because things could change. The fact of the matter is when it comes to God, He loves taking things that seem like a waste and turning it into great blessing, or for that matter, taking your life or your mind and he, or mine, and he puts us in places, and he wants to use us. 
So one of the questions that you've got to think through, one of the questions I've got to think through is this. Why has God brought us all together here? I mean, there's a reason. Brought us from different walks of life, from different parts of the city, different life experiences. We're here at this church in 2014. What does God want to do with us? Why is College Park here? I've been thinking a lot about that question. You see, I believe that God has brought us all together, and it's by divine design, and it's part of his plan to reach the world. You're a part of that, I'm a part of that. So why has God brought us together? Divine appointment. Here's the second thing. Paul has a deep burden. I chose this text because of one word. Chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. That Greek word means to be emotionally upset about something. So, so Paul has a, a deep burden within him. That idea of being emotionally upset can be used negatively when it's sinful, like in 1 Corinthians 13.5, when Paul says that love is not irritable. That's what that word means. It means someone does something and it's kind of inside of you. There's something that's, that, that bothers you and maybe words come out, maybe they don't, but something within you is troubled. The NIV translates 1 Corinthians 13.5 as easily angered. On the positive side, the idea is that the word creates emotional tension. It means that you see something with your eyes and your heart is moved. It's like, that's wrong, and I need to do something about it. One of my least favorite shows on television, I, I cannot watch this show because it creates so much internal angst, is a, 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 a news show. I think John Quinones, uh, uh, I'm probably not saying his last name right, but uh, it's uh, what would you do, and they set people up. You know, They put someone at a table with a mom who's being you know, overly domineering, or I, I saw one little clip of a guy who's... Uh, parents and his family was vegetarian and when mom and dad left the table the guy next to him was trying to get him to eat a hot dog or you know something like that and like buying it for him and people so all these people around them are you know trying what what are they going to do and i I don't like that show because it creates tension for me just sitting in my living room and then i wonder well what would i do and i don't know what i would do i think i would do the right thing i'd hope i would but it's kind of awkward you don't know and so i don't like that and that that feeling that internal angst that some of you are feeling even right now as you think about that that show in that environment that that's the emotion that paul is feeling he he sees the idols of the city historians estimate that probably about 30,000 idols paul walked through the city he sees all of these idols and his heart was moved Maybe you think about it as, a, as the opposite would help give it clarity. Rather than being apathetic, rather than being indifferent or being passive or being detached or insensitive, rather than, than Paul writing off Athens as some pagan community, I mean, some of you would walk around, you'd see all the idols, and instead of being moved, you'd, just, you'd be judgmental. Look at these pagan people, all these idols are so ignorant. And Paul, he was moved, he was, he was burdened. He could have justified not getting involved because he'd been beaten previously and he just needed a break. And yet, thankfully, Paul didn't let that happen. What he saw with his eyes affected his heart. And that's what I want you to think about today. What is it that you see with your eyes that should affect your heart? What is it about our community, about our world, the place that God has placed you in, your neighborhood? Where has God placed you? It's not by accident. The job that you have, the neighborhood that you're in, the people that you're around, that was not your doing. Those are all gifts from God. Oh yeah, you're active and you're involved, but he has you there. He doesn't have you there just to live the American dream. He has you there because he wants to accomplish his kingdom in your life and in the world. So the question is, what does your eyes what do your eyes see and does it then move your heart paul felt a burden to do something to reach the people of the city of athens do you know what it's like to have this kind of burden man i hope you do there's been times in my life when I know so clearly God was putting something on my heart. I didn't know maybe when it was going to be fulfilled or how it was going to happen, but I knew the burden was clear and the burden was evident and I wanted to do something. Back in one of the clear, clearest moments was back in Michigan. I think I told the story a couple of years ago or so, but um, we were foster parents and we got a little girl at about three in the morning on a Sunday. And I remember wrapping her up and putting her in bed. She'd been up all night because of the circumstances that required her to be in foster care. And 
police had dropped her off, and all she had was a little garbage bag with a few clothes and this really beautiful little blue blanket. And I remember tucking her in bed. The blue blanket was what she had been wrapped in. And as I tucked her in, my hand clipped a uh, tag that was on the blanket. And the blanket, the tag on the blanket said, God loves you. And I flipped it over, and it said, Hopkins United Methodist Church, a church in our area that was not a gospel preaching church. And I remember saying to my wife, you see, our church's name should be on the backside of this tag. And, but we weren't thinking about things like that. And so that, that was a burden. God rolled that burden on me. And so then we began to do some things to try and minister to people who served our community in child protective services. And our church could have never taken an offering of $1.1 million. My goodness, no way. But what we did is we gave out duffel bags to our congregation. And then they filled them with, with, with diapers and supplies and clothes, like an emergency care kit, so that when a foster kid got into a home the first time, that they had like 10 to 15 days worth of clothing until the state um, stuff could help, could help them out a bit. And, and so we, we had this pile, $20,000 worth of supplies that we donated to Allegan County Child Protective Services. And all of that started because of burden that hit my soul as it related to the name of our church on the back of a tag. And I just want you to encourage you to think about with me, what is it that's on your heart? What is it that God has gifted you in? What burden do you have in your soul to do something about? So Paul has... This divine appointment, he has a deep burden. He also does something, he does something strategically. A burden is worthless unless it's acted upon. So verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Notice what he did. He went to where the people were. He went to the synagogue, that's where the religious people are. And he went to the marketplace, that's where the secular people are. I mean, isn't it great? The gospel can speak to religious people and the gospel can speak to irreligious people. It can speak to those who are interested in spiritual things, and it can speak to those who would consider themselves secular. And Paul's presentation of the gospel went so well that he was invited to the Areopagus, which was like the, the governing council of the city of Athens. All, anybody, all the players of the city would have been there. And so he gets in verses 22 to 20, or 33 to present the gospel to all these leaders. And two well-known people, along with others, are converted. They're, they're listed in the latter part of um, Acts 17. But what you need to know is that none of this would have happened without Paul's strategic decision to visit the synagogue and the marketplace. And the thing I want you to think about as it relates to your life and our church is what do we need to be doing strategically to be where people are, to speak into their lives, to bring them the gospel. We have a phenomenal opportunity every Sunday as lots of people come and visit. But there's even more opportunity as you go out into the marketplace as you go out into the city, God's placed you where you are, in your neighborhood, and in the jobs that he's placed you in, in the schools, and in the university settings that you're in. You're there by divine design. And I just want you to think about with me today, what is your mission? Why does God have you there? What is the purpose? This is not by mistake. One of my favorite prayer gatherings of prayer week is when we pray at the circle. Because I love the fact that we're praying at that Christ Church Cathedral and people are coming from all these high-rise buildings and in, in law and in business and in medicine and education and government. And they all come down and then we pray together and then they all go back up into their workplaces. And it's just a great reminder that we have strategic people placed all over the city. When we first came to Indianapolis and our family moved here, we went to a, a Colts game uh, fairly early on. And uh, while we were at that game, somebody came running up to us and started taking pictures of us and then ran away. And, 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 uh, he didn't run away. He took pictures. And we kind of looked at him like, what? And he said, hey, Mark, I'm so-and-so. I go to College Park. And then he ran off. And my kids looked at me and they're like, this is crazy. And I said, I know. He said, these, these people are everywhere. They're like carpenter ants. So that's how, that's how they compared you. They're every, and that's, and that the reality is that our people are, they're everywhere. And what a glorious thought that that is. That we're able to see the beauty of the gospel expressed through your lives. So I want you to know something, that the ministry of this church is, doesn't just happen at 96th in town. It happens even more effectively as you go back into your neighborhoods, you go back into your places of employment. Real ministry doesn't happen in the confines of this building. The real ministry happens outside of this building. In fact, that was one of the reasons why we gave you, a number of you, that, those $100 bills. Because I just wanted you to get a sense of what happens that suddenly you see the world through different eyes. 
and to be able to use that money to invest it and to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, the stories that I have heard from people, it's unbelievable. One of those stories, um, Lauren, sorry, I'm going to pick on you today, hon, but uh, Lauren Branks, sixth grade teacher, one of our schools had a burden for an eighth grader in her school whose dad had passed away, and so God put that a boy's name on her heart and she wanted to do something with her hundred dollars so she pitched the vision to her small group and uh, apparently she's a pretty good fundraiser because uh, they raised three thousand dollars it's and it's all singles too they don't have a lot of money you know that so um yeah let me give a hand well they said they didn't have a lot of money is what they said i guess so they raised three thousand dollars and then lauren got to deliver that to that mom and to hear the story of the look on that mom's face when she opened up the envelope and realized that someone had just given her $3,000 to help with the expenses of her family. I mean, that is a beautiful, small little illustration of what happened $21,000 over to be able to think of the application of the gospel in the needs in our city is just remarkable. The vision for that series was to give you new eyes and to empower you to do something unique to help you realize that ministry doesn't just happen here, it happens out in the world, and for you to make a connection between what you see with your eyes and what you should actually do. So again, the question is, what are you provoked to pray about? Why does God have you where you are? Why are you in your neighborhood? Why are you in your job? Why does God have this this plan for your life? And it may be a plan that's been filled with pain in the past. Even that can be used for God's glory. It may be circumstances that are coming up in 2014 that look freaky scary. You know what? God can still use that. God's got things in store for you that would blow your mind. And we need to be sure that we are provoked to pray. God, even though I'm waiting, even though I'm in Athens, even though this world has been hard, you've got, a, you've got something for me to do in this city. Something for me to do in my neighborhood. Something for me to do in this business unit, in my fraternity. Something for me to do in my dorm. So that was Paul's experience in Athens. It's an amazing story. Some people who were converted, God used him in a phenomenal way. Let me just share with you a little bit about what's provoking my heart and the heart of our elders for the city of Indianapolis and our church's role in that. This next weekend, we're going to meet as an eldership and uh, spend a day in, in, in an evening just thinking, praying, and seeking the Lord's direction on, Lord, what do you want for us? And we have some ideas. We haven't finalized any plans, but we have some burdens. I have a burden, some things that are provoking my heart. So I've been thinking about the role of our church in the world and in our community. You could really summarize it this way, that we've had a track record of reaching unreached people groups, through our missions program, a track record of reaching underserved people, like through Brookside. And what I want us to think about, what our elders want us to think about, is what is our role in this city? What do we do to reach unchurched people in the greater metropolitan Indianapolis area? So if you could think about this with me for a moment, the tagline or the summary of this, if you will, is that I want us as a church to be mobilized for the purpose of multiplication. So think of this in terms of of this singular statement of mobilization for multiplication. So there's two tracks, two goals, mobilization for multiplication. The mobilization piece relates to you and me. It relates to what I want to be sure doesn't happen to a church that's become rather large. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the large church. There's things I love about it. There's things that really freak me out about it. What I love about it is the opportunity that we have to give $1.1 million away to leverage amazing gifts and ability with people and intellectual capital and skills. What makes me really nervous about it is a big church is an easy place to come and be a consumer. I mean, straight up, what you can do is just come and listen, learn, have lots of good programs, and your kids could be well taught, they could be well cared for, and you could just come here and never really be on mission, but you could really feel like you're spiritual. And I think one of my roles and one of our elders' roles is to provoke you, to stir you up a little bit, and maybe have you ask the question, you know what, do I need to get outside of my comfort zone, if you will, and to be sure that I don't treat the church like a cruise ship when in fact she's a battleship? Now, I think we're doing really well in that regards, but I see the path, I see the cruise ship path really clearly. I can see how it can happen. I've seen it happen, and I've just said to the Lord, not on my watch. 
So we're talking and thinking as elders what we can do to help in regards to discipleship and, and one-on-one uh, discipleship and leadership development and raising up the next generation of, of leaders. That's why we, last week, were blessed by those three young guys preaching. Dustin and Bob and Jeff, they did a great job. I left that Sunday not only filled with the Word of God with these guys, but also sensing, you know what, this is so right for so many reasons. So we began as a, as a, as a team looking at where you as a congregation live. And what we discovered is that our people live all over the, the Indy Metroplex, all, all over the place, from Fishers and, and, and Brownsburg. We have people coming in from Greenwood. In fact, that's how this whole conversation, frankly, even began. So folks in Greenwood said, look, we drive like 45 minutes. Would you consider planting a church in our area? And so we started thinking about that and dreaming about that. And then we also began to do some research nationally and, and locally. And you know what we discovered? We discovered that when you live 20 minutes or more from a congregation, your experience of church really changes. You're, you're, you're less inclined to get involved. Uh, church is more of a destination than it is a home. Not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And here's the other thing. People are very disinclined to invite a neighbor to come to church when it's 30 minutes away. They look at their neighbors, and if they are going to invite them, sometimes they'll tell them to go to another church, which is great because there's a lot of good churches in the community. But but what if evangelism could be even a greater emphasis here if we could help people by bringing church closer to them? As well, we did a study with our small groups, and while our congregation is spread all over the city, notice that the small groups are really only in the northern half. There's hardly there's There's like one small group in Greenwood. There's hardly any small groups down there. You know why? Because there's just something psychological, something spiritual even, if you will. When church is that far away, it, it, it's, it's a place that you go to. It's, it's not, it doesn't feel necessarily like home. And when I looked at some of these stats, some of these um, plot graphs, my heart began to be really burdened, a little worried even. I don't want a church that's just a place that's a destination. I want a church that's going to go deep in people's lives. I want to be able to serve people and, and, and who, who drive long distance. That's, that's, that's great, and I'm grateful that they're here. I don't want them to not keep coming. I don't want them to stop coming. But at the same time, realizing that a mega church can be a magnet for ministry that's a mile wide but an inch deep. And don't get me wrong, small churches have their issues too. All churches have problems because there's people there, Right? But the fact of the matter is the large churches have particular problems and we need to lean into this matter of maturity and discipleship to be sure that we don't go down this path of becoming like a cruise ship instead of a, a battleship. And so what I want to do is to provoke you as a congregation to think about what is your role in the community? What's your role in the marketplace? What's your role at your school? What's your role in your neighborhood? As you look to 2014, you know, there's some neighbors in my neighborhood whose names I don't know yet. That, that's got to change, right? There's, there's people in your sphere of influence who, who you need to get deeper into their life. You need to take that conversation step and, and get beyond just the, 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 the standard niceties, the greetings. You need to get somehow into their life. So as elders and pastors, as we look to 2014, we want to think about what is our role? How can we help you as a congregation? And what do we need to do in regards to the needs in our city? You know, our city has some huge needs, it's been a difficult year for our city. I ran into uh, Troy Riggs, Director of Public Safety, in, in the hallway last Sunday. I said, man, I've been praying for you. Is this been a hard year. And you know how many murders happened in the city of Indianapolis this year? Over 140. You know how many murders happened in New York City? About 300. You know how much bigger New York City is than Indianapolis? I mean, it's enormously bigger. I don't know what the population stats are, but it's enormous. And so there are, there are huge needs. In fact, one of the reasons why we helped launch DMI Bible Church is because our city, the core city, the urban city, needs more gospel preaching, theologically driven urban churches. In fact, we need more of you to consider going there. And if, you, if that's something that you'd like to talk about, I'd love to personally talk with you about that because we need a vibrant gospel-preaching church like Nehemiah in the Brookside neighborhood. But you need to know something else, that the needs in our city, is, it's not just about crime. We did a study of the city of Indianapolis, and while there's 1,600 churches, and that's a very broad category of churches, within our community, there is over a million people in our city, over a million people who would consider themselves to be unchurched. 
60% of people in the city of Indianapolis would identify themselves as unaffiliated with a Christian church. And that's using the Christian term very, very, very broadly. 60%. Now, when I first heard that, I was like, really? Because, I don't know, I go to Panera and I see Bible studies happening all the time. I hear Christian lingo often, you know, things of that sort. I see people wearing Duck Dynasty shirts, you know, things like that. And (laughs) thinking, well, you know, it feels kind of Christian or pseudo-Christian. And then I started having this image in my mind. Think of this with me. What does your commute on a Monday morning look like? My guess is it looks something like this. This was taken on Ditch Road on a Monday. This is um, uh, rush hour on Monday. This is rush hour on Sunday. This is rush hour on Monday. And this is rush hour on Sunday. College Park, this image has gripped me. The fact of the matter that 60% of people in our community are unaffiliated with the church, that means that there are people in your neighborhood, there are people in my neighborhood, there are people who you work with, there are people who are right next door who need to receive the beautiful, life-transforming message of the gospel. And my question is, with a church our size and in this particular spot in the city of Indianapolis, during this particular season of church history, what is God asking us to do about that? So let me share with you what we're praying about. And again, we're thinking and praying about these things. This is in a very general and broad brush scope. This weekend, our elders will be discussing a proposal to launch college park campuses or outposts, if you will, different than church plants. We're still going to help church planting efforts, but to think about church outposts in two specific areas of our city within the next two to three years. And those areas would be fishers, and the Eagle Creek, Brownsburg, Avon area. You might say, well, why those two areas? Well, that's because that's where our people are. That's where you live, or you who are watching, that's where you live. And those regions are 15 to 20 minutes out from this location here. And our vision eventually would be, we'd love to go all the way around the city. In fact, this whole thing began with a a call from Greenwood. And we'd love to be able to go to Greenwood, but right now we don't have enough people in Greenwood yet. That may change. We're, we're, we're asking the Lord to give us a sense of direction and what does he want. And so the idea would be this, that in these, in these two neighborhoods and maybe somewhere else along the 465 Beltway that we would, we would plant an outpost of College Park Church, a campus, a, a, the same church just in multiple locations. Same budget, same eldership, same DNA, same vision, um, same kind of teaching, same kind of music, same kind of programming where you could go there and it's College Park, but it's just in Fishers. Or you could go there, it's College Park, it's just in Eagle Creek. And I think that if you live in Fishers and suddenly we put um, a, a church in your neighborhood or within five minutes, it's going to change how you look at your neighbors. That suddenly now you, you've got an opportunity, an impetus, if you will, to invite them to come to church. If you live in the Brownsburg or Avon area, suddenly there's this new church. Suddenly now you've got the opportunity to have the conversation with people that maybe you wouldn't have before. As well, some of you, if you get involved in this kind of thing, you're going to find that, that your involvement just comes to a whole new level because now you're needed in a whole new way. If you don't show up, something doesn't happen. Lights don't get turned on. Chairs don't get set up. Music doesn't take place. The, the thing doesn't happen unless you're there. And so the goal is multiplication, but also mobilization. On my heart is our spiritual needs and the spiritual needs of the people of the city of Indianapolis. One of the reasons why we're focused on retiring our debt as fast as we can is because I'd love to be able to use that money, about $500,000 a year right now that we use to debt service, pay the debt off so we can use that money to help launch these new churches and these new campuses, these outposts. We're hoping to be able to see this happen sometime, maybe in 2015. 2014 is going to be another study year where we get into this deep, develop our strategy, figure out what it's going to take, what location And this week, Thursday, we're having a prayer meeting in Fishers. That's why we're praying in Fishers. Because those of you who live in that area, we'd love to have you come. And the address is on the web, on the prayer um, site. We'd love to have you come and pray with us about, God, what what do you want us to do in this area of the city? What is it that you're calling or inviting us to do? I'd love you to join with us in prayer on Thursday just to seek God's will so that we can say, God, what is it that you want us to do? But for that matter, I'm asking all of you to pray with us, pray with me about this. What is it that you are provoked about? What is it that God is 
putting a burden on your heart about what are you provoked to pray? What is it that God is placing on your heart? You see, this isn't just a vision or a program. This is, for our church, for me, it's a burden of my soul. I've just shared with you what, my, what I'm provoked about, what I'm passionate about, what I see in terms of, of what the need is within our community. I want to see our church reach unreached people groups. I want to see our church reach underserved peoples in the city of Indianapolis. But I also want to see our people reach unchurched people in our city. So let me turn this for you. So what is on your heart today? What, what is the burden of your soul? What has God called you to do? Why does he have you here? Why has he given you the experiences that he's given you? Why has he placed you in the role that you're in? What do you see that provokes your heart to pray? What mission has God laid on your heart? It may be something completely related to this church. It may not be related to this church at all. I don't care. I just want to ask you, what are you provoked about? And what should you be provoked about to pray? God has placed you on this earth. He's placed you in this city. He's placed you in your neighborhood. And I just want you to think with me about why. Why you? Why is it even hard circumstances? Why you? And what does he want you to do with the people that he's bringing around your life and into your sphere of influence? Now our staff's going to meet to pray at some time this week. I hope it's Tuesday. I don't know. And we want to pray for the things that you're provoked about. They may be related to this idea of um, church campuses. It may be related to something entirely different. In fact, I hope there's a lot of other things that we can pray about as well. You've heard my burden. I want to know what yours is. So as we close the service today, there's some whiteboards around the uh, sanctuary here. And what we're going to do is there's pens there. In first service, it was awesome. Service went long. Um, What I want you to do is to think with me about what you're provoked about. And we're going to take a a camera snapshot of that whiteboard and our staff's going to use that as our way of praying for you. We'd like to know what's what's on your heart. What are you provoked about? What needs are you concerned about? Maybe it's the name of a person, a family member that you want to come back to Christ, someone who you need to reach out to. Maybe it's some crisis in, in the community that you don't, you don't even know what to do. You're just burdened about it. What I want you to do is take a pen and just write it down on that whiteboard. There's one here, there's one there, there's one at this side and over here. For those of you who are lit up in the um, stadium area, for those of you at home, we'd love to have you just send me or a staff member an email saying, here's what I'm provoked about, because we want to pray, we want to seek God for the burdens that are on our hearts. So this is going to be your chance to respond. I'm going to pray, and then I want for you, if you have a burden on your heart, to just write that on the whiteboard. There's a bunch of pens up there, just crowd around and just put it down. And let us have the privilege of praying for you. So you get ready to move. Let me pray. Father, as we now respond to you in light of the burdens that you're laying on us, we want to be a part of your kingdom work. So lay burdens on us. Burdens that would be birthed then into action. We pray this in Jesus' name. All right, the whiteboard is open. We're not leaving the service yet. It's not done. So keep, just um, just stay where you are. Stay seated unless you have a burden. Go up to that whiteboard and uh, put that down. We're going to spend this last few moments just in meditation and thinking and prayer as to what is it that God has placed on your heart for the needs around you. Grab that pen. Write it down. Why you? Why the city that you're in? Why the job? Why the home? Why the neighborhood? Paul was provoked in Athens. What provokes you in Indianapolis? I don't want you to feel obligated to get up if you're just like, I don't don't have anything yet. That's all right. Maybe your thing would just be, Lord, I want to know what it is that you want me to do in the future. So I'm just going to wait until you show me.
love the extent of the burden that God can roll on us. Those lines are long. You're welcome to use the back side of the board too if you want. Just maybe someone move that board out and use the back side too. talked about this morning there's, there's there's some of you here that it's not that you don't have a, a burden but if you're honest it's that even if the burden was there you wouldn't feel it because your heart is flat today and if that's where you're at i'm so glad you're here you're empty you're dry and i want you to know something there is room for god to restore your spirit you may be able to think of a time in your life when, man, I had so many burdens. I had this huge burden. I was so motivated to do something great for the kingdom, and now it's just not there. And I just want you to know there are in seasons and out of seasons. I've had those too. You can't manufacture a burden, but one thing you can say is, God, I want to be available, and I want to be ready. Whereas the psalmist says, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. And so for some of you, the prayer today may just be, Lord, I... Even if there was a need in front of me, and I'm sure there are, I wouldn't even see it because my heart is just flat. Some of you may just want to tell the Lord that. Funny thing is, he already knows. (laughs) He's not going to say to you, really, I didn't know your heart was flat. He knows. So what are you provoked to pray about? That's the question. That's what I want you thinking about. I want you praying about. I want you leaning into for the next week. God has placed you where you are for a reason. It's not by mistake. It's by divine design. And the question is, why? Why you? Why this church? Why 2014? Why the city of Indianapolis? Why? I'm going to close in prayer. Those of you that are in line Please don't leave until you've jotted down the burden on that whiteboard. It'd be a great blessing to our staff that we can see that. It'd be good for you as well. We'd love to have you just linger here and complete the process of whatever God is doing in your life today by writing that burden down. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we've been able to be together today, both in this room and virtually online. We're grateful for your word and its calling to have hearts that are provoked. God, you have this church and this city for a reason, and we want to know your will and your heart. Tell us in your word that the horse is prepared for the day of the battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord, and we just want to say this is your church, this is your city, we're your people, and we just want to be available for whatever it is that you want us to do. So give us eyes to see and hearts that feel. Give us burdens, deep burdens for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, thanks for coming out today. Thanks for taking time and writing those burdens down. I love you so much. So grateful that you came to worship today. Thanks to those of you who joined us online. Hope to see you at some point this week as we pray together, all right? God bless you.